You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Today we return to 1 Peter. We haven't been in 1 Peter for a while. Um, the series that we've, uh, about where we've been going through First uh, Peter is entitled The Way of Jesus, Real, Hard, and Hopeful. Our text this morning is First Peter 3, 1 through 7. First Peter 3, 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's printed in your uh, worship folder, and you can follow along there. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, um, we come to a passage of scripture that is in our culture, uh, controversial, in many ways counter, runs counter to our culture. It, it sounds in our ears as, uh, as politically incorrect. Um, so help me to communicate it uh, faithfully and truthfully, clearly. Help all of us to hear it and understand it and apply it in our lives uh, for your glory, not our own. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last weekend, Robin preached uh, last weekend. I was thankful for that. I was in Virginia with my family. Uh, I had the privilege of officiating the wedding of one of my beautiful nieces. And so it, um, marriage and weddings and brides and grooms have been on my mind lately. I had to prepare a wedding sermon. Um, and one of the things I always tell a bride and groom in every wedding sermon I do um, I somehow get around to, to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians uh, when he said that, that, that Christian marriage is a profound mystery. And, uh, and that profound mystery turns out to be that marriage is images. Marriage depicts the relationship of Jesus to his people. It's, 
So when you think about it, if that's true, uh, then Christian marriages are one of our best evangelistic assets, right? One of the best evangelistic assets we have. You should be able, a person should be able to look at a Christian marriage and, and, and learn, learn much about, about how Jesus loves his people, how Jesus forgives his people, how Jesus extends mercy to his people. Uh, and that's why this topic isn't just relevant for married people. If, if you came today and you're single, um, whether you're committed to singleness or whether you're hoping to get married, you thought, oh, maybe this, this isn't relevant to me, but it actually is because, because marriage is a communicator, right? If, if you're sing, single, the t- teaching of the Bible on marriage, your observation of Christian marriages should be instructive, uh, should let you in on truth about Jesus. You know, if you go to the Mediterranean uh, uh, sometime, you, one, one of the things you'll discover is that there are um, more statues of Roman emperors and, and other Roman officials, more of those statues outside of Rome than there are inside of Rome, outside of Italy, right? So you, um, you find them in, uh, of course, Greece and Turkey and uh, Israel, North Africa, uh, England, right? Roman statues of Roman emperors. Um, why so many outside of, of, of Rome? Well, it, it, it seems at first counterintuitive, but the reason is because uh, the Rome was staking out its claim, right, to, to the Mediterranean world. It was, by, by placing those statues around the empire, it was doing two things. It was saying, here's your leader. Here's, here's who you need to to uh, respect and bow down to, and even in later years, worship. Um, And more than that, this is sort of like our, it's like a a boundary marker, a claim claim stake, right? That we are, it's like an explorer. You know, you've seen those uh, uh, movies where the explorers, you know, get off the ship and they plant the flag in the, uh, on the beach and they say, I hereby proclaim this land for Spain or for England. And in, in a way, that's kind of what, the, what Rome was doing with these, with these statues. They're saying, we, we, we claim this land for, for Rome. This is part of the Roman Empire. Now, why am I talking about this? Because there's a good analogy, really, to what God is doing uh, with marriages. Uh, the God of the universe reveals who he is, he shows us who our leader is, who we are to bow down to, who we are to respect, who we are to worship, Uh, and he stakes his claim uh, over the entire planet, how by placing his image in the form of Christian marriages all over the planet, right, all over the world, showing us who he is and claiming sovereign control over the whole world. So marriage is a big deal. It's not just a private matter between you and your spouse. It it actually has a deep theological significance. It it has cosmic significance. And that's what we're talking about here, marriage. And and I I wanna just break down what Peter says here under two headings. First, 
the pattern of marriage, Christian marriage, and then secondly, the power for Christian marriage, okay? The pattern of Christian marriage and then the power for Christian marriage. First, the pattern. Um, we're actually a little bit handicapped here because we haven't been in 1 Peter for a while. And, and this teaching of, of Peter on marriage has a particular context that is important to understanding it so that we can perceive the marriage pattern. Uh, the key word here is likewise. It's kind of a strange word to be key, a key word. It's the kind of word you'd read over. But there it is. It's there twice in verse 1 when he uh, introduces the uh, topic of Christian wives. And then again at verse 7, likewise, when he introduces the topic of Christian husbands. Um, I like to translate that Greek word, likewise, is a perfectly fine translation, but I, it's, to me, in my mind, it's clearer to say, to translate it as in the same way. In the same way. Um, and if you sort of read it like that, you, you, you begin to see pretty quickly what P, Peter's doing here. He's linking this discussion of uh, how husbands and wives relate to each other to his earlier discussions, which we covered a long, quite a while ago now in chapter two, of how people, people relate to government, Christians relate to government, and how Christian servants relate to their masters. So in first, if you, if you have your Bible, you can look, uh, I'll read it. First Peter two, verse 13 talking about the government, he says, he writes, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to, the, or to governors as sent by him. And then in 2.18, dealing with servants and masters, he says, servants, be subject, there it is again, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And then you come to 1 Peter 3.1, right? Where he says, in the same way, right? In the same way as what? Well, in the same way as Christians relate to government, are subject to the government, in the same way Christian servants are subject to the masters, in the same way wives be subject to your husbands. Now, lest you think that's a one-sided uh, obligation. Uh, there is mutuality here. Uh, y y though Peter uses a different word um, it, down in verse 7 when he describes what the husband must do, he, he doesn't say be subject, he says show honor. And, and there he's actually picking up a word that he used in chapter 2, verse 17, when he commanded Christians to honor the emperor. Same word. In the same way, husbands, as you honor the emperor, so honor your wives. That was a shocking statement in, in, in Peter's uh, society. And this is still radical, right? And very counter to the direction our culture uh, is moving. But it is the pattern for people who live by faith in Jesus. It's not the way of power. Uh, it's not the way of self-promotion. It's not the way of self-actualization. It's not the way of revolution, although Christianity exerts 
revolutionary power. It's, it's the way of submission. It's the way of deferring, of respecting, of honoring, even in contexts where there is injustice or hardship. You know, it seems to me that a lot of Christians have become so used to sort of uh, fighting with the world's weapons and, and fighting according to the world's strategies that this, what, what Peter teaches here, seems to our ears at best naive and, and perhaps at worst harmful. Right? Some women... I know object to this teaching uh, as, as, as setting them up for harm. Uh, I think that's, that's a misunderstanding of what Peter is saying here. But this, this is what we're called to as, as, as the people of Jesus, not asserting our rights, not pursuing our own good, but the good of others, surrendering rights, serving others, going low to lift others up, Years ago, in, back in the 1980s, um, uh, Linda and I went to a speech up in Orange County, this is during the Reagan years, uh, by a fellow named Gary Bauer. Some of you will recognize that name. Gary Bauer was then the, the, the Christian president of the Family Research Council. Um, he was not, had not yet become a failed presidential candidate that would that would await his future. Uh, but he was talking and it was, you know, sort of the height of, of his influence. Uh, because of course, back then, Christians had a lot more political and cultural clout than they do now. Um, and, and, and that clout that, that Gary Bauer had uh, at the time was recognized by a weekly news magazine. He, was, he talked about this in his speech that, where he was depicted on the cover of this magazine wearing a Superman suit. And he kind of liked it. You know, it was complimentary of, uh, of, of uh, you know, it was a recognition by, by the secular press of his... Uh, uh, of his power. Um, but uh, Bauer went on to explain in this speech that his wife brought him back down in a hurry as he had strategically placed the magazine on the kitchen table so that she would see it uh, and then later sort of walked through the kitchen. She had obviously seen it. Uh, she handed him the wastebasket and she said, here, Superman, take out the garbage. Uh, which sort of gets at the contrast, right? That this is, the, the world's sort of about power and, and, and exerting our power and, and marriage is more about, um, and, and really the Christian life is more about uh, serving, right? Not using our power uh, for, for ourselves, but using our power for, for others. So let's, Continuing on with this pattern, let's see what the pattern looks like specifically for, for wives and then specifically for husbands. First, first wives. You'll notice at first that some of you wives are thinking, well, this doesn't really apply to me because he's talking to Christian wives that are married to uh, unbelieving husbands. Now, that may apply to some of you. I know some of you are. Um, 
And that was quite a common situation in the early church, right? Uh, and the reason is because the, because the early church, just like Jesus, had a great appeal to marginalized people in, in, in the society. Uh, and, and Christianity still does. If we ever lose our appeal to the marginalized, uh, then we, we will know that we have somehow gotten off the gospel. Um, and of course, women were marginalized uh, in, in that culture uh, and um, not valued, um, legally uh, put in subordinate positions. Uh, and, and, and they would hear the gospel message and hear how, how, how women are made in the image of God and, and, uh, and valued uh, uh, by God and they would flock to the church and become Christians, they would convert to Christianity. So you had, you had a lot of women in the church who, who were recent converts, but their, their husbands uh, were, were, were still uh, unbelievers. Um, nevertheless, and, that, and that's, so, so Peter's writing to churches and he knows that's the situation. But you also see that really there isn't much difference, if any, between the, the, what he would tell a, how, a Christian wife how to relate to her non-Christian husband and what he would tell a Christian wife how to relate to her Christian husband. There's not much difference. And, and you can see that in the example he chose, right? He's, he, he uses the example of Sarah, right? A believing woman who was married to a believing man, Abraham, but, but points to her as an example for a Christian uh, wives married to non-Christian husbands. So I don't think there's really a lot of material difference between how Christian wives are being instructed to, to be here, okay? So I think you can profitably hear it if you are a Christian wife married to a non-Christian husband or a Christian wife married to a Christian husband, okay? The foundational identifying characteristic of, of a Christian wife is mentioned in passing in verse five, but it really is foundational. It, verse five, as he, where he kind of goes back and is, is pointing to Sarah, he, he makes the point that these, these women in, in, the, in the line of Sarah, in the tradition of Sarah, did one foundational thing, right? They hoped in the Lord. See, that's the foundational identifying mark of a Christian wife. She hopes in God, not in her husband, not in her children, not her home, not in her career. Ultimately, a Christian wife is called to do really what any Christian must do. Whether you're a man or a woman, married or single, you must place your ultimate hope in the Lord. I've seen it in, in my own just living with, uh, with friends and uh, over the years and watching their marriage struggles. I've seen it as a pastor, counseling people in marriage. One of the most common um, stressors on, on a marriage is when one or the other of the spouses is not trusting in the Lord, but trusting in something else. Often, it's trusting in the, in the other spouse. Right, that, that, that one's hope for this marriage is all placed on, uh, on, on the husband or on the wife, right? And that's, that's just a weight that, 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 that a mere human being can't bear. 
or that the hope in the marriage is, is based on, 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 a, on one of the careers of, of the spouses to, to, to provide the kind of security that, that, was, that would be needed to foster a, a, a good marriage. But a career isn't gonna, you know, that's not a good foundation for a marriage either, though, you know, careers come and go. Children, pe- people, I've seen spouses, you know, sort of lean on their children as the hope to keep the marriage together and to, to, to grow the marriage, strengthen the marriage. And that, that's just, that's not what children are to do. And you, and you do that, it's doomed to fail. So, so the first thing a Christian wife must do is what any Christian must do. Ultimate hope is in the Lord, not in, any, not in anything or anyone else. Now you might have read this and thought, well, it, gosh, it still looks like you know, the Christian wife is, this is, it seems like a recipe to be a doormat, right? Um, but it, it, it's not. Uh, notice what she's adorned with. Um, not primarily with external accessories of beauty. And let me just stop there. When he mentions braiding of hair and, and uh, jewelry and uh, clothing, um, a lot of Christians have taught over the years that uh, this, what Peter is doing is commanding uh, that we ought not to make, uh, we, we ought to ignore physical appearance. The f- physical appearance is, is something that we ought to, we, we ought not, we, we really ought to ignore, we ought not to try to enhance. Um, that's an overread of, of what Peter's saying here. Um, the, uh, he's, he's really stating, look, the, the, he's, he's identifying what, what is often an idol for, for, for people, and that is you know, how you look. And he's going, you know, that's not the most fundamental, important thing about you. It has to be something else. It's not, it's not what you do to, to make yourself look uh, good. And boy, what, what, you know, what a, if, if that was a pressure back then, think about what it is now in these days when our kids are looking at, you know, Instagram and Snapchat and, and, and measuring themselves, measuring their appearance against what they see in social media. It's a huge pressure, right? Um, Peter's saying, look, that it, that's not it. That's not where you go. The, the, what you are adorned with, Christian wife, is a gentle and quiet spirit. And some of you are saying, well, that's not a lot better. I mean, what are you saying? That she's, you know, you're just saying Christian wives have to be prim and proper, they have to be ladylike, they have to, they have to be a wallflower, they have to be seen and not heard. No, uh, that's, that's, that's again not what, what Peter is saying. Uh, the gentle and quiet, the gentle and quiet spirit is really, it's, he's, he's essentially lifted a description of Jesus. Right? That's how Jesus was described uh, repeatedly in the Gospels. It's how Jesus self-described, right? I'm gentle and lowly in heart, right? And it's the same word. This gentle here is the same word that often gets translated in the Gospels as meek. And that's, that's a word that has lost some currency in our day. 
Um, we associate meekness with weakness, but in fact, it's just, it's not that at all. It's just, it's, it's almost the opposite. Meek is not weak, right? Meekness is bridled power. That's what meekness is. It's bridled power. See, Jesus was meek, but nobody would ever have claimed Jesus was a doormat. Right? But Jesus, and Jesus was immensely powerful. And yet he bridled his strength. He harnessed his, his own strength and power. It was, it's, meekness is power voluntarily bridled for the benefit of another. And that's what Jesus did, right? And, and um, this is what God, this is the lifestyle that God, that Peter says God deems to be precious. This is precious in his sight. Um, it's like a, um, you think about a wild Mustang, right? Uh, beautiful, strong animal, um, bigger, heavier, stronger, more powerful than, than any human uh, b- being that would uh, ride it, for example, and yet that Mustang will you know, b- harness its power, bridle its power and allow uh, you know, to, 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 to support uh, his human um, passenger. Um, that's what God deems to be precious, that bridled power for another. Uh, and boy, that's so not what we value as, or see as precious uh, or powerful in our, in our eyes, but it is in God's eyes. Um, my good friend Sam Andreades, um, I, I met Sam uh, over the internet. He was a pastor in New York City and I came across his sermons one day and we, a wonderful preacher, we became friends and um, he's, he's now an author uh, who writes about marriage and gender issues and we got into a discussion about this passage and um, you know, he said, I would be almost tempted to translate, you know, wives be subject to your husbands, which is sometimes translated wives submit to your husbands. He said, I'd almost be tempted to translate it, wives promote your husbands. He says, I know that's not what it says, but that's the intent. That's the effect of being subject to. That's the intent of submitting. Um, a, a wife coming alongside her husband, bringing to bear all her gifts, all her abilities, all her strength and power, bringing those things to bear on her husband for his benefit, to lift him up, to make him better. God, that's what God finds precious. And I know in a world where it's all about personal power and personal position and personal privilege, especially in a world where women have uh, historically been, you know, um, sort of fenced out of that. This kind of prescription for a Christian wife may sound crazy, uh, but this, you know, God isn't bowing to our notions of political correctness or to our culture. Uh, he says, this is what's precious to me. 
Uh, and importantly, you need to see two, understand two things, right? It's, we're dealing with this, I can't deal with both of them simultaneously, but there is a mutuality here. This isn't just one-sided. This sort of obligation to, for the wife to come alongside and go low to lift up her husband, she's not the only one doing that. Right, we're gonna, as we'll see, the, the husband is too. And in, a, and in a Christian marriage, both one, you know, subjecting herself to her, her husband, submitting to her husband, the other showing honor to his wife, they, they both are coming under and lifting each other up. We'll talk about that in a sec. So, but just, just keep that in mind. There's a mutuality here. The other thing, you need to keep in mind here is that Peter isn't giving us a manual for Christian marriage and, and, or saying, you know, here's exactly what a Christian marriage should look like. What he's giving us is the deep, is the deep guiding principles, right? The, the, tr- the truths that should undergird every Christian marriage. But how a, a particular Christian wife and Christian husband flesh those principles out in their particular marriage uh, will look different, right? This, Peter is not saying here that a Christian wife must, uh, you know, is relegated to the kitchen or, or that, that she can't work outside the home, that she must uh, stay at home and homeschool her children, that she must make every meal from scratch and whatever. He's not saying that. Um, he's, he's giving us these guiding principles. Look at the, pro- the description of a Proverbs 31 wife. I mean, there is a, there is a, there's a wife that's got her hands in a lot of things including the marketplace, right? Uh, so uh, Christian marriages are gonna look different, even those based on these principles. We ought not, you know, uh, we ought not to be quick to judge, and we ought not to be surprised. In fact, we ought to celebrate the fact that Christian marriages look different, because remember the first truth, that th- these marriages image God. And God's infinitely complex, God, you know, the, the manifold wisdom of God. So we would ought to expect that uh, these, these various images of God would, might highlight different aspects of, of who he is and his character, okay? Last word real quick to the wives here because there's a translational difficulty that I struggled with. Uh, and I want to, I, I, I hope, encourage you here. Look, look at verses five and six there. Because this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And then here's the, here's the difficult sentence. And you are her children if, if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. Well, I, you know, I, I've, I've it's, it, it's difficult Greek, but I don't, I, after studying it, I don't believe that last sentence is conditional. The word if is not in it. Um, the translators are trying to make sense of difficult Greek, dif, difficult Greek but I, I, I don't think by making it conditional they've done us a favor here. And in fact, they've changed the tense. It says, and you are her children. Let me, what it literally says is this, and you have become her children. Past tense. You have become her children 
dash, if you want to put a dash in there, doing good and not fearing anything frightening. It's just descriptive. It's saying that you, you are, Christian wife, already a child of Sarah, uh, and, and, here's, and, and, and the descriptive sign that you're a child of Sarah is that you do good and you don't fear frightening things. If the if is in there, right? I was reading that and I go, man, if I were a Christian wife hearing that, I would wonder, first of all, am I really a Christian wife? Or am I really a Christian at all? Because I've got to be, uh, I've got to do good and I've got to f- not fear anything that's frightening. And who does that? Right? Who of us does that? Perfectly. You'll do a lot of good and, and you will not fear some things that are frightening. But there are times when you're not going to do good and there are times when you will fear things that are frightening. Is, right? Is your status as, as a Christian or a Christian wife conditional on that? Answer is no. It's that, that translation is inconsistent with the rest of the message of the Bible. It's inconsistent with the gospel. Um, your hope in God, right? Christian wife, your hope in God, your hope in Jesus alone makes you, that makes you both a child of God and a child of Sarah. You are already that. And it's the finished work of Jesus for you, right? His life, death, and resurrection for you that is the basis for you to do good and for you to surrender your fears to God. And when you fail at that, Jesus stands there ready to forgive, okay? So I think we can take that conditionality out. Um, Okay, that's the pattern for wives. Let's look at the pattern for husbands Um, because here's where it comes to, you begin to see the mutuality come together. Uh, The pattern for husbands, there are two parts to it and I'm, and I started doing this using the Greek text, and then I realized that the ESV changed the word order in verse seven um, from the Greek order. And as a, I think they did that because it reads a little better in English. But, but so, so bear with me, because I, I, these parts are based on the, on the Greek word over. First part, I don't think it really makes a material difference. First part, living in an understanding way with your wife as the weaker partner, okay? Living in an understanding way with your wife as the weaker partner. Now, I, you know, I'm, you know my, my political correctness radar is going off. Just like, um, when Peter says weaker, I believe he means two things. One, he, he's recognizing that husbands are generally, generally, physically stronger than their wives. And they need to live in, an un, in a way that understands that physical strength as over against his wife's. For a failure to do that, think Brian Laundrie. Right? Um, and then the, um, let's see, where am I? The... Um, Oh, the, yeah, that's the first one, that, that husbands are, ge- not generally, are generally more physically strong. And then the second, that, that husbands, it, it, more true in that society than ours, but still often true in our culture, that is that husbands are, you know, they have the power 
economically, financially, culturally, that, that often wives are dependent upon uh, the, the, the income the, the, uh, of, of their husbands, for example. Um, uh, so, so weaker in, in those two senses, okay? Keep that in mind. The second part of the pattern is not only are you to live in an understanding way, recognizing that, that relative weakness of your wife, but you are to show honor to your wife, like honoring the emperor, since you, since you and your wife are heirs, she, since your wives are heirs with you of the grace of life. See that language there? They are heirs with you of the grace of life. And it's this showing honor. Think about what showing honor means. Showing honor becomes virtually synonymous with being subject to or submitting, right? If if you're gonna show honor to your wife, what do you do? You respect her, you defer to her, you lift her up, you promote her, uh, you you, you do what, what the Lord wants you to do, and that is, you know, husbands, you're gonna be presenting your wife to, to the Lord uh, uh, on the last day, and you want to present her as one who has, who has become everything that the Lord has made her to be, right? And, and think, think about that. I mean, the, 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 all the, the beautiful gifts and abilities that you're, wives have and we and we are to we are to do what we can to make sure that those gifts and abilities are, are blossom and and are exercised and she becomes everything that God designed her to be that's honoring her uh, and the ground for honoring your wife is that she's equal with you the Greek word is actually, it, it says, our translation says they are heirs with you. It's, it's, it's really a, a one Greek word, which is a compound word, which essentially means co-heirs. They are equal co-heirs with you, which again was radical in Peter's day because women could not inherit. Women were never heirs uh, in, in Peter's day. And here he's saying, look, she is an equal co-heir with you. Of what? This is, you know, it's of the grace of life. You know, it's wonderful that he brings grace in there because it shows us, right, that that, that the husband and wife truly are equal, (laughs) right? All of us, every husband, every wife has fallen short of the glory of God. Every husband, every wife stands only by the grace of God, right? Unearned, undeserved, demerited. Neither the husband or the wife is intrinsically morally superior or intrinsically more valuable than the other. We all stand, we all stand, husbands and wives, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, right? ground level at the foot of the cross. We are equal in his eyes. So you put all that together, right? Christian husbands then are not to use their physical strength or their authority in the, in the culture, 
power and the culture to put down, threaten, harm, marginalize, scare, or manipulate their wives. But they are to use their strength and their power to honor and respect their wives and and promote her growth into everything that the Lord wants her to be. So there is no basis here, no basis uh, for a Christian wife to ever bear with something like abuse. It's out of bounds, it's out of of line with God's will. Um, And in using Peter's words, the most respectful and pure conduct of a wife in that case is to remove herself from that danger, from that covenant-breaking danger. Um, And Peter underlines that, the seriousness of that and the truth of it by saying if a husband's not going to honor and understand his, live with his wife in an understanding way, then his prayers are going to be hindered. That's a divine passive. They're hindered by God. That word can also be translated thwarted. It can also be translated cut off. I mean, think about that. You know, Christian husband is, is praying and, and God says, stop it right there. I'm cutting you off right there. I'm not listening to you anymore because you are not showing honor to your wife. Right? It's, that ought to scare the daylight out of, of any Christian husband uh, who has some warped Neanderthal view of, of Christian headship and and Christian submission. And there are unfortunately a lot of Christian leaders that still teach something like that kind of Neanderthal view that, that, that keeps women locked in um, unhealthy, abusive relationships and, thinks that, and think that's okay. It's not. Uh, Brian Chapel, uh, pastor, professor, now the stated clerk of our denomination, uh, wrote a gr- great book on marriage called Each for the Other. If you, wanna, if you ever want a good, a good marriage book, Each for the Other, we've got some copies in our library. Uh, I use it often for premarital counseling. And um, the, um, in that book, he tells a story about a, a distant friend of his who was a church leader, a married guy, served on a denominational council where this council would um, interview young pastoral candidates. And and this church leader would ask, every time they interviewed a a, a potential candidate for ministry, this church leader would ask the same question every time. Does your wife submit to you? And then he'd drill down, then he'd he'd start drilling down in an attempt to prove that this candidate either did uh, uh, control his wife and control his family like he did, or he didn't and therefore was to be rejected. And Brian Chappell writes that, man, it it would be a tragedy if the candidates were really controlling their families like this church leader did. Uh, because as, as, as Chapel recognized, he said uh, his heavy-handed, lording it over, unsympathetic, non-honoring husbanding um, turned what he called his intelligent, once glowing and buoyant wife into a sad, silent, sullen and dowdy woman. 
that's a tragedy. You know, and there are some Christians that say that's kind of what this, this teaching allows, and it isn't. It's, it's the exact opposite. Do you think people come to Jesus and, and Jesus turned people into sad, silent, sullen, dowdy people? No. Remember, we're imaging God. This is a, this is a complete twisting and, uh, and perverting of the image of God that, that this man would turn his wife into something like that. And not only does it hurt the wife, of course, it, it, tragically, but it hurt, it hurt him as well. Uh, Chapel said that the more withdrawn she became under his ungodly uh, way of husbanding, that the worse and less Christ-like he became. Um, and you can see it happen, right? Why? His prayers are being cut off. Serious business. So... That's the pattern of marriage. And um, I, you know, I hope you see what it is. It's wife submitting, husband showing honor. I, I, hard to see what that, uh, you know, the difference of those two is. Now some of you are gonna wanna say, well, come on, submission has to mean something more than showing honor. You know, um, the, the, the pat answer is that somebody has to be the tiebreaker, right? And, and there's some truth to that, that, um, uh, you know, if, if a husband and wife are, you know, at loggerheads about what to do, and they've been praying about it, and, and, and they can't decide, then ultimately one of them has to prevail, and, 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 it, and it, the, the husband would be the tiebreaker, right, I guess. The problem is, with that, is, is that, is that, guys will take that then and they're breaking ties like every day. Right? The whole pattern of marriage is tie breaking. That's a dysfunctional marriage. Right? Um, I, 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 don't, uh, I don't point to my marriage as any, as any great model. But I, I will say, and, I, and I've told um, uh, these premarital these couples that I do premarital counseling with. And that's always a trip, right? They're sitting on my couch in there, twinkling eyes, you know. And so I'm gonna, let's talk about, you know, when you fight. And they go, fight? <laughs> we don't fight. Um, the, uh, uh, where was I going with this? Uh, the, uh, oh, yeah, t t tie breaking. Well, well, Linda made mention of it out in the patio. This, the only time I broke the tie, in, in, I, I can think of, in our marriage was coming to Escondido. And that was, and that was hugely frightening to me. Um, because we were, you know, we, we, Christian husbands and wives are, you know, to work things out, and pray, pray things out. We were always able to do that. Uh, except that decision. And that's, where, uh, that's the one time I broke, broke the tie. And I'm thankful, thankful to you that it all worked out. Um, uh, so, uh, let's get to, then to... So I just wanted you to see that, right, it, you, you're, by, by the wife submitting and the husband coming to showing honor, that they're coming together and they're both going under the other and lifting them up, right? 
Uh, that's, that's the important thing to, to notice. Now the power for marriage, and I'm going to be real quick here because we've already alluded to it. The only way you and I are going to come close to, to doing this is to have what I call a gospel-powered marriage. You know, surprisingly, it all comes down to Jesus again. Uh, it, you know, persevering. You need to persevere in your faith in him. And you need, as a husband or a wife, to daily keep your eyes fixed on him. And that's a, you know, that's a discipline. That's a process. I'm all, my, my, my eyes are forever getting off of Jesus and onto other things. And I have to, I have to you know, just through discipline and prayer, refocus my eyes on Jesus. And what do, you, what do you see when your eyes are fixed on Jesus? Well, you see the God-man who submitted to his father in order to promote you, right? To promote you to new life. You see, you see the God-man who honored his father by giving us honor, honored his father by by experiencing the horrible dishonor of the cross so that we would forever know the honor of being welcomed as forgiven and accepted children of God. Um, You see a God whose mercies are always new and whose compassions never fail. One of my favorite verses. Every day, his mercies are new and his compassions never fail. If God is always merciful to you and always unfailingly compassionate toward you, you see, then you have the fuel. You see that? If you, if you got your eyes fixed on Jesus and you see every day I've got new mercies from him, every day he's compassionate with me, now I have the fuel to turn around and, and, it, and be the instrument of that mercy and compassionate compassion to my spouse. If I've received it, now I can be the channel of it. I can be the instrument of grace to, to my spouse, even when she doesn't deserve it, even when I don't deserve it, right? And we never do. Who deserves mercy? We, we, we give each other grace and mercy because by definition, we don't, we don't deserve those things. Um, when you know you're completely forgiven and accepted by God, because of what Jesus did by grace, then you, then you have what it takes. You have the fuel to then f- forgive and accept your spouse when they, when they fail you, when they sin against you. And they will. I know the, the couple in my office doesn't believe that yet. They're, they're twinkling eyes. But they will. And you need to, you know, how can we do anything less in light of what Jesus has done for us, right? It would be a perversion of, of, of the gospel to have received all of this from Jesus and then not turn around and extend it to the most important person in our lives. Um, I call that the shock absorber of grace. You know, so much of what I see in, in marriage problems is, is an absence of grace. Right? And when you, when you try to do a marriage without grace, you're going to shake each other to pieces. Right? Husbands and wives, both sinners, right? You throw, throw yourself into the, in, you know, into the same house. And, and without grace, you're going to eat each other alive. Right? You're going to, you, the, it, becomes, it, it becomes this you know, competition. You're going to try to even the score. You're going to try to get payback. You're going to try to get your own way. You know, there is nothing like marriage to show, you know, how self-centered you are, 
you know, and if any of you deny that you're self-centered, I'm, I'm guessing you're not married. I'd say, get married. <laughs> and then I'll ask you again. Right? Marriage just, ugh. It, just, it pulls it out of you, all that self-centeredness. Um, so you need this, you need grace. You need, you, you, otherwise you're just constantly banging into each other so, and, and, and competing with one another. So you get this shock absorber of grace that gives you space. You can kind of step back, you can take a breath, you can count to 10, you can refocus your vision and say, what have I received from the Lord? What do I need to do to, 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 to channel that to my, to my spouse? Um, See, that's, that's what a Christian marriage has that no other marriage has, right? Because Christian marriages really involve three, husband, wife, the Lord. And um, uh, if you do that, that's a marriage that's gonna sing. It's gonna sing, it's gonna last a lifetime, and it's not just gonna last a lifetime. There are a lot of marriages that last a lifetime that are lasting living hells, right? This is a marriage that will last a lifetime and grow stronger and sweeter over time. So may God be so merciful to us that he would uh, grant that our marriages uh, would, would truly uh, reflect Jesus' love for his people, his mercy to his people. Help us as husbands to show honor to our wives, um, for wives to be subject to their husbands and promote them and um, Amen. Let's, uh, let's take a minute and a half or so, two minutes uh, to, to pray. I know this has been controversial. It's been un, not politically correct. It might be the first time some of you have heard this. You're still trying to process it. If it's, if it's familiar to you, it, you've, you, perhaps you're convicted. It's, it's like when I do premarital counseling. It's like, it's like a complete guilt trip. Right, I'm telling these that young couple to do things that where where, where I'm challenged at, at, at doing them. So you may have uh, just as as I've been talking, thought about ways that maybe your marriage isn't uh, isn't in line with the truth of the gospel, isn't in line with what Peter says here. Just you know, go to the Lord, confess that, and ask for His forgiveness. It's there; He'll He'll give it. Ask Him to help you by His Spirit to live in a way that. Um, will strengthen your marriage and make your marriage a beautiful image of uh, Jesus' love for his people. So let's, let's pray together and then I'll close this in just a minute or two. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for um, giving us marriages. Uh, and we confess, Lord, that we, we don't always live up to uh, your word when it comes to our marriages. Father, forgive us where we have fallen short. Continue to extend your forgiveness and grace to us. Help our marriages to, to be strong and beautiful reflections of who you are and how you love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.